Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. When we find a brand that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. In today's episode, Gut Check CRO Jess Gedeke sits down to chat with Miguel Garcia Castillo, named one of Forbes' The Next 1000 in 2021. He's also the founder and principal at Collabs Works, an independent venture and brand studio specialized in emerging categories and cultural trends. Listen in while Jess and Miguel discuss what's important to Gen Z, how market research plays an essential role in his business, and his role in helping founders and brands evolve, change, and improve. Sit back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Miguel, thank you so much for being here on the Gutsiest Brands podcast. I've really been looking forward to this conversation since we had the chance to catch up a few weeks ago. So first, we'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about CollabWorks. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jess. I I really appreciate it. It has been fun over the last few weeks chatting and and getting ready for this conversation. Um, My name is Miguel Garcia Castillo. I am the founder and principal of CollabWorks, and uh, CollabWorks is an independent venture and brand studio. And what we really focus on is in the discovery and the exploration of emerging cultural trends and categories as part of that studio model. I am so excited to dig into some of those categories, so we'll get there shortly. But I like to start by going back in time. Why don't you tell us about the very first job you had in your life? Oh my goodness, that's a that's a funny question because uh, I think my first job, where I'll, and by the way, the way that I am describing first job is uh, when I was doing something for somebody else to pay me money. So yeah, when, first of all, when I think when, when I define uh, my first job, I will put it that way. And I think it was around when I was in or third or fourth grade, I've always been really passionate about drawing and, and sketching. And I think that started from the very beginning, which honestly impacts, I think, everything that I've done in, in my professional career. But I started drawing uh, Ninja Turtles and He-Man characters, and then I would start selling them in school to the point where uh, I had like third, fourth, fifth graders buying these things for like 10 cents. And by the way, this is in Mexico. So it was like 10, pe- you know, 10 cents of a peso. Uh, and I was just, you know, making a little bit of money and my parents were like, where is this all coming from? And I, they finally saw that it was because I was drawing Michelangelo's and Raphael for, for a living and, 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 and during, uh, during lunches and stuff. So technically that's my first job in my life. That's awesome. That shows real hustle right from the beginning. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll learn about how that hustle kind of permeated throughout your career as we start talking. So what I'd love to first do is talk about one of my favorite characteristics of gutsy brands, which is leading with empathy. And what that means, it it really means having a fundamental obsession with understanding the human experience and letting that serve as your North Star from how you lead an organization, how you innovate, how you go to market. 
And, you know, as I've learned about some of the brands you've been involved with, I think empathy is at the heart of so many of them. So what can you share about some of the best illustrations of empathy in branding and innovation that you've been involved in? I think empathy in our in our studio model is really, really important. And to your point, it's not only about like how we work internally, but it's about the process that we take to explore some of these areas that, in my opinion, require the level of empathy to understand that they are valid uh, areas of exploration, right? And then if you can come in with a closed mind and, and not with that empathetic mindset, I think it's very easy to say no to a lot of things. Sure. I think what's fun about our our world is that we try to say yes to a lot of things in terms of what we're interested in and what we want to explore. Because when you kind of look at that empathetic lens, you know, look at all the projects and all the uh, opportunities with an empathetic lens, you can understand that there could be something there for somebody that may not be you. It may not be the person next to you, but there may something may exist that people may be wanting for or looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think to be and to be more specific, I think for me, the, the first thing that always comes to mind is the work that we're doing on the healthcare space. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what better proof of uh, of empathetic behavior, empathetic decision making and an empathetic process than uh, than healthcare? One of our big ventures was uh, Pipeline Health, which is a community-based hospital system. And we've been building this organization for about the past five years or so. But when you think about then overlaying what we've all went gone through with a pandemic, with COVID, with the realities, the ups and downs of, of our society and our culture, and really what, what that brought to the table, I think it's, it's, it's a really prime example of not only how strat- strategically Empathy as part of a service, specifically in, in, in healthcare, is so important, but it put into action every single day. I think to this day, I, I am still amazed and I'm thinking back at just the level of empathy top down every single person that worked in this or works in this organization mm-hmm. showcased from internal conversations on uh, what's the best solution for these tough times from a uh, patient care from decision-making in terms of what's the right thing to do versus what's not the right thing to do. And it doesn't mean that every question and every challenge is met with an answer that's going to make everybody happy. But when we put that level of empathetic rigor into a space, which frankly, in many ways is lacking that empathy, which I know it's kind of crazy to think about. It's something that I'm, I'm really, really passionate about and really excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some irony in that, right? That so many, um, you know, services in the space don't deploy the right empathy. So what what is Pipeline's unique approach to that? Yeah, I think I think the the first piece of it is the types of hospitals that we take on, right? And, and that Pipeline takes on. And what do I mean by that? I think historically if you looked at their hospital rosters, they are historically underdeveloped, uh forgotten, not the best doctors in not the greatest places, right? However, when you kind of balance the fact that those are the communities that need good healthcare the most, I think that is where I think you kind of saw a really kind of unique opening for us to be able to bring empathetic, high quality uh, healthcare and decision making within the healthcare space to these communities that have been disproportionately affected by hospital closures, by doctors leaving, by not the greatest medicine and the greatest care. And I think when I, when we look at the really the unique selling proposition in terms of what what Pipeline was, was meant to do and what they've uh, aimed to do was to find that place where a successful 
healthcare organization can be run in a smart way, in a good way, but more importantly, with the end result meaning better healthcare for these communities and these working class communities across our across our nation. Right. Oh, it's so fascinating. And it's it's really inspirational the work that you're doing there. And you know, it's also testament to the all, all the different spaces that Collab Works really explores because um, you know, the pursuit of new categories, whether it's next-gen beverages, alternative wellness, recreational ca- cannabis, others, I imagine that you encounter a lot of naysayers as you explore these categories, people that just don't get the opportunity. Um, and so, as you know, we like to honor brands that stand behind bold ideas, even if they're not well understood or popular at the time. So how do you build conviction for those emerging categories? Part of the process is always having to answer to the next no question, right? Or to the next no feeling. And I think um, I think saying no is okay. And I think having doubters is okay. I think that's actually what makes the diligence and the process so important to ensure that there's a, you know, that, that they're wrong, right? And I think the reality is that there's a 90, probably 5% chance that they are right. And, and finding that needle in a haystack is, is not an easy job. However, where I think that I think that path, what it allows us to do is it allows us to ask the tough questions ahead of time. It asks us also to utilize creativity and that um, you know overwhelming curiosity. I think that we that we have and that we carry as a team to be able to say, "But what if the answer is yes? Mm-hmm. What if if there's something there?" And then being able to leverage data, science, uh, expertise, experience to be able to fill in the blanks that allows us to move things forward. I think in, I think that's really what for us has really become the way that we kind of go into every single opportunity that may be kind of be presented in front of us. And to your point about the categories that you mentioned, I mean, I think, uh, I think each one of them are all emerging in different ways. I think, you know, when you think about healthcare and the ability, the technology, but also more importantly, that the democratization of the healthcare experience, uh, I think it gives you a completely different perspective of what the traditional healthcare model used to be compared to recreational cannabis, future of education, conscious hospitality, some of these other areas that are a little bit more forward leaning in terms of like going into places where there may not be a light on yet and and kind of going into that darkness uh, and figuring out how to navigate through that is is what we what we like to believe is what makes us unique in our approach. Mm-hmm. What's a brand from one of those spaces that you can use to illustrate um how forward thinking it is. Yeah, I'll give you two examples. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the first one is we, uh, about three years ago, we launched a lifestyle skincare brand uh, really surrounding the notion of tattoos. And I think over the last 25 years or so, obviously, you've, you've seen a different journey in terms of what tattoos are in, in culture and society, not just United States and not just North America. As a global trend where you can really see that the transition into more of a mainstream approach without being mainstream yet, right? And what we really were able to find was that opportunity and that belief that a company could really focus on such a niche and focused area that is growing, but with a different context in mind. And, and what I mean by that is other companies have created skincare for tattoo. Whether it's caring for them or it's making them brighter, whatever. 
However, I think where we uncover something that makes us really excited is if you look at the data, it says, I think over 60% of Gen Zers have at least one tattoo, really? but, no more, but no more than three. Okay. So what that starts telling us is that in, in what, what our research and um, our team started really figuring out was consumers are thinking about tattoos no different than accessories. For them, it was a lifestyle accessory that it wasn't about just, I'm going to show my parents that I don't need to be under their rule. I'm going to get a tattoo. No, it was like, this means something to me. This is decorating my body in a specific way. But they still are looking for just the day-to-day normal things that people are looking for in skincare. So what do we do was we, in, in this world, we partnered with what I would consider to be the, the world's most successful and popular tattoo artist in Dr. Wu. Uh, we shared this vision. And I think as somebody who's been in this business specifically for the last 20 something years, we found a mutual ground of understanding and belief that this is something that when talked about slightly different way in a different context, the product benefit could still be about tattoos. So we're three years into this journey that I think continues to grow, continues to build. And it's something that, I, that, that I'm really excited to see how it kind of continues to, to evolve and scale when you have companies and retailers, huge supporters of the brand like Violet Gray, like Essence, like Urban Outfitters, who truly believe and I think are seeing this type of uh, uh, this type of parallel behavior with their actual consumers as well. And then quickly, the second one that I would I would show you, and it has to, I think it's a good crossover between lifestyle and healthcare, and it's about mental health uh, and mental wellness, and and just the general nature of people's feelings. Uh, and by that, I mean we're not really strangers. I think you've probably seen it in some of our in our conversations, but. I met uh, I met the founder Corinne uh, about five years ago. It was actually one of our very first uh, ventures that we took on, and it was very simple. She had a vision around a platform that really helped foster more meaningful connections. And she was the one who had the insight as a Gen Z founder herself. Mm-hmm. She's like, I was a photographer. I'm a model. I travel around the world, and the one thing I realized: if people are not having real conversations with each other. And once she told us that, we're like, yeah. okay, you have the you have the ethos, you have the DNA, and our job was to help her package it, mold it, and really kind of put it in a place that then it can become a scalable model that I think is becoming today with five plus million followers, with different types of games from the board game to apparel to all these other things. And I'm always the first one to say all credit goes to the founder and the founder team and a lot of these things because it's truly embedded in them. But what I'm really proud of is our ability to continue to connect the dots, see that the fact that, and by the way, this was 2019. So now it feels like four years ago, but where are we today? We are today in the crisis where the Gen Z consumer and the Gen Z community is more stressed than ever, more depressed than ever. Uh, forget about uh, forget about the younger generations. So I think it starts showing some of these some of these uh, examples, and hopefully these two examples start showing how being able to be a you know ahead of the current, even it is within different contexts, that I think it allows us to be able to be sitting here today and say we you know like we've been working on mental health and meaningful connections for Gen Zs for the last four years or five years or whatever it is because it's the power of saying yes and giving that empathetic chance 
to places that may not seem profitable, may not seem like they're good for business. They may not be good for VCs and funding. But I think that's where we're trying to solve as an organization and as a studio is in the in the absence of all of those things, there needs to be somebody that believes in some of these nuggets. And that's what we want to be. Yeah. Well, and I think what's really interesting about what you just said, too, is the importance of really believing in the ethos of that founder and saying, you know, you get it and we're we're going to you know help you along this journey. How important is it for you to kind of jive with the founders of the, the brands that you you help? It's a huge part of the equation. Uh, I, I would say it's uh, it's the thing that we also probably learned along the years. And, and, and we're uh, almost five year organization. So we're young. We're learning every day. And at the beginning, you do things because you think you have to. Yeah, because you're like, okay, I don't know if I totally buy into this. And I think maybe that's a little bit of my background from a more of an agency uh, client relationship. And I had a breakdown. And right now, what we do is actually a big part of our upfront work is that DNA thing, right? Is that do we buy into what we're trying to build together? And there's many times where a founder or a team will come to us and be like, we want to do X. We'll go away. We love the founders. We love the vibe. We love the people. We say, but I think we should do why, right? And more times than not now, I think as we've gotten, I like to say, right, I've gotten more gray beers in my hair. <laughs> people are like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, this is a great way of doing it. So we've now been able to not only uh, connect on a very personal and a human level with the founders and with the teams that we build for these organizations, but we also are starting to find that we have the permission to help them evolve and change and improve, but all in the spirit of all, we're always on the same page. So in a, in, in a short-winded way, the connection with the founders, the connection with the founding team that uh, that is going to work on this is a huge part of if we are going to take on these opportunities or not. So you've shared a lot about emerging cultural trends and categories and finding communities with outsized influence and impact, which is just so cool. So how do you anticipate what what's next? Like what role does market research play? Market research plays a huge role in us. And I would say it plays a key role in us in two different places. The first one is in the beginning of the process. I mean, uh, when we're really in the ideation stage, and I'm not even talking about the ideation of the actual project or product or company. I'm talking about really setting a fence around uh, an area in a white space that we believe can be an impactful place to explore and develop something. And I think the the importance of market research is just the validating nature of understanding that there is something there viable uh, for us to explore. And I say viability, and I don't mean viability in terms of like what's going to give us the most market cap potential so then we can always pretend we're creating $10 billion companies. We don't operate that way. What we operate is viability based on the opportunities that we can see. And if if a good concept is a $100 million company, great, awesome. If it's a $10 million company, great, awesome, because that market research is going to help us ensure that we are always keeping everything you know, in line, focused, but more importantly, realistic in terms of what we're trying to build. One of the things that we found very early, and I think is one of the learnings of building a studio is you can waste a lot of time, you can waste a lot of resources, and you can waste a lot of money if you don't have that type of research ahead of time to even just guide you to tell you what you're getting yourself into. And then I will mention the second part of it, 
is as we're developing. I, uh, we're really big believers in test and learns. We're really big believers in understanding the market. Uh, we tend to really kind of focus more on localization, sharpening market tests. And obviously, as you can imagine, the, the role of that data in ongoing research will play into that. I think it's, it's something that will continue to, will continue to uh, evolve and will continue to become more and more important as we, as, we, as we launch different organizations. But I'm always the first one to say is, you know, if you have a gut, it's kind of half the battle, but then proving out your gut is the other half, right? Because that's, you know, that's where I think talent, that's where the science and the art come into play. And we continue to improve in the way that we look at those two things. At the beginning, we were probably a little too much, uh, too much art and too much gut. And it happened that we had a good, you know, we, we had a good thing going and we got a couple of things right. As we've expanded, as we've gone into all these, these other territories, we continue to really find ways to ensure that data and research is really kind of guiding the ultimate decision making that we're making that we're doing. Yeah. And I think that's even more critical because the consumer landscape is changing so fast and people's needs and wants and what they expect from brands is changing so fast, particularly among the younger generations that you spend a lot of time appealing to. So I, I hear you. And that's where, where we help our clients a lot is just how can we make sure we're, we're getting that comprehensive view of what deeply matters to people, um, but keep on top of it because it does shift so quickly and opportunities for brands change so quickly. So you can find the right partners, the right platforms. And today we live in a world where it's amazing how many things are there. I think probably the biggest challenge is curating what's a good partner and what's not. But for us, finding those strategic partnerships that are going to continue to make us smarter, better, but more importantly, our, our businesses more successful is an ongoing battle and journey that we're nowhere close to being done. Okay, we're going to go to our first lightning round. So what brand or campaign comes to mind when you think about a uh, brand that leads with empathy? First person company that comes to mind is Selena Gomez uh, and our brand Serendipity Brands. Um, I want to start with Selena Gomez because I believe her vision and her ethos is all about empathy. When you think about Rare Beauty, when you think about the Rare Impact Fund, uh, I'm really, really proud to be able to count on, on her partnership for Serendipity Brands as we kind of continue to build upon this this vision of a more empathetic world and with a tie-in to mental health, uh, mental wellness, and uh, Rare Impact Fund is the first thing that can come to mind because it's somebody who lives it every day, acts it every day, and puts her professional endeavors as part of that mission. So uh, I, I wouldn't be able to answer this question without, without Selena's name. Yeah, absolutely. And to use her kind of celebrity and influencer status for something that's so important and uh, towards the good. It's just so so heartening to see. So I'm glad you mentioned that. What about the brand or campaign that stands behind bold ideas, even if not well understood or popular at the time? I mean, listen, I got to go back to my to to the Woo Crew that we have, and and I think nobody. I would even probably say up to like six months ago, nobody really believes that this is a thing. I would say use present tense on that statement because <laughs> it's still early, and there's a lot of questions. We've gotten a lot of no's. Not not wide enough, too niche, too not you know too risky. Who is he? You know all of the above. But 
the team has stayed bold. They have stayed true. And when you have a a firepower and, and kind of like the, the founding just genesis of somebody like Dr. Wu behind it, he's, he's made a whole career by being bold. So I think they're, they're a great example of, of your question. Yeah. And blurring lines. I mean, the number of sort of industries and categories that it seems he seems to have such a presence in, it's really fascinating. So hopefully our listeners will, will look him up and, and learn more about him. So this one is spill your guts. This is all about you personally. Okay, here we go. What's the first brand you remember as a child? Oh, wow. Nike, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nike was the first one. Yeah. What did it mean to you? It was Andre Agassi's shoes. Uh, I was uh, come from a tennis family, or at least my, my whole family plays tennis. So uh, I just remember the the value that I thought in these tennis shoes. Ironically enough, I ended up losing them, which turned out to be something that I still deal with to this day. I lose everything. I ended up losing him after some tournament or something else, and I was devastated. And I think it was in that devastation that I realized the power of brand value, but also I meant like the, the power of hard work because then I had to buy them myself afterwards. <laughs> so it, uh, Nike was definitely the first one. And to this day, um, it continues to be a a benchmark of creativity that uh, that myself and our team always tries to tries to match. Yeah. Yeah. We hear that brand mentioned often on this podcast for good reason. So, so how would you describe your job to a child? Wow. That's a great question. And, and, you know, it's funny because I just, I just answered a similar question to my four-year-old daughter. Cause she was like, you're always on calls, dad. Why? <laughs> that's her, that was her thing. Why are you always on calls? Um, what I would say is I get to work with really smart, uh, different people to create to bring new ideas to life. That's how you should always say it. And uh, it usually works. Uh, and it's one of those where without the people around us, none of this really matters because an idea is an idea without context, right? So um, I be, be, being somebody that can help others build their ideas and their dreams is something that I love and kids usually understand because they all have dreams and they all pitch me concepts and themselves, which is the coolest part about the whole thing. I love that. I love the full circle that comes there. Yeah. So what's one piece of advice you would give a business leader that's looking to help their brand be more gutsy? Know that the worst thing that you can be is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And once you understand that and you, you know that every decision you make, there's a good chance you're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> it removes some of the weight and it removes that monkey in your back that you always have to be right. You know, that as a founder, that as a leader, that your job is to always be right. I actually think I learned this the hard way many, you know, over the, over the last 10, 15 years, even in past lives where I really thought that my job was to try to be the guiding source for answers for everybody or anybody that was kind of part of my ecosystem when time and experience kind of like settles into your career, you realize that being a facilitator to questions, to problems, to challenges, to options, to ideas, it's better than trying to be always right. And one of the things that I always notice is people get petrified from making the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And that's actually something that we would talk a lot internally and externally. We're like, hey, guys, the worst thing we can be is wrong. So we might as well make a decision. So that would be my, that would be my, uh, 
my my quick round of advice for somebody. The worst thing you can be is wrong. So so make the decision and go with it. Yeah, I like that. There's some power in that for sure. Okay, this is serious. What is the most used emoji on your phone? <laughs> I'm gonna say there's a tie of two. The one of them is the uh, is the spider icon. Um, really? Mostly because that's yeah, because the spider icon is Woos, our our icon for for Doctor Woos. Oh, so we okay. use it for anything and everything. The other one is <laughs> the skull, <laughs> the skull, <laughs> the skull me. <laughs> because when we're middle conversations and somebody says something amazing, I send the skull logo like I'm dead, <laughs> like it's amazing. And if somebody says something super silly or like something that I'm totally not in agreement with. Whoever is on the other side will also get that one because I'm also dead. So I think those are the two that are most used right now. Oh, the, okay, those are new mentions. I'm glad to have them now on our list of, of emojis from uh, from Gutsy <laughs> Brand Leaders. And finally, we are compiling a, a Gutsy Brand playlist. It's actually a pretty good playlist. So what song would you add to it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Zombies, This Is Our Year. I can hear it in my head right now. So yeah, it's great. Um, we've been, oh. we've been singing it for the last two years. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we were like, it's going to be our year. So, so that's, that's the goal. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Miguel, you know, as we wrap things up, is there any other brand that we didn't talk about that you think really embodies these characteristics of gutsiness? There, there is an venture that I'm really excited about called warehouse beverage company. And I think they are, uh, we are building a next generation uh, beverage company. And the reason I want to bring them up is because I think they also hit on a lot of the the topics that we've been talking about, being bold when nobody is, uh, how do you how do you lean on nose, you know, in, in an area where it's dominated by a lot of big boys. And then number three is the collaboration, the creativity and the problem solving that comes with being a gutsy brand. I would say that uh, I'm so excited about this venture kind of coming through. Uh, we're starting to launch new brands as we speak. So uh, this is another one that I, I think the team over there is doing an incredible job that is going to be something that we were going to keep an eye on. Excellent. Can't wait to see what's to come from that brand and all the brands that you talked about today. Miguel, this was truly a really delightful conversation. I feel like I learned a lot from you and I have more brands to learn about. So thank you for that gift. No, I really appreciate your time. I love what you're doing and uh, I look forward to continuing to build. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Well, that was another great interview in the books, Jess. I love hearing about Miguel's work because it spans so many different industries, not to mention he knows Selena Gomez. So we might have another contender for a great dinner guest host. A hundred percent. He would be an amazing uh, dinner guest host. And I bet he'd bring some pretty cool next gen beverages to that party, right? Yeah, I think so. Now you both dove into a lot of topics. So let's just get down to it. What were your biggest takeaways from your chat with Miguel? Yeah, I think to start, it's just the whole premise of collab works and the gutsiness that's embedded in pursuing these emerging categories and these culturally relevant segments I think there's a couple of things there. One is it takes a really empathetic lens to anticipate what's next, because to do that, you have to be really grounded in an appreciation of the consumer need. So I just kind of love that foundation of, of the thinking of these different spaces. 
but also building conviction for spaces that are not a thing yet. That's really hard to do. Uh, it takes a lot of passion. And I, I thought that, you know, I applaud what Miguel and Colab Works is, is doing to passionately explore those categories. Another one that really intrigued me and I want to look into more is the the we're not really strangers and how we talked about the ethos of the founder. And that just sounded really fascinating to me. Did you look into that? I sure did. I'm a board game girl. So I had to dive into that. And, you know, being into board games, I know how it can bring people together. Um, but this one looks like it just goes a little bit beyond that. So it let me just fill you in about it. There are three levels of questions. So level one is perception, which is exploring what you think about someone. So uh, you might say, what do you think I do for a living? And then I tell you my opinion before I really know you. And then level two is connection where you do get to dig in and get to know a person. And then level three is reflection. So you explore what you learned about each other and how you could maybe use that information going forward. So it seems like a really fun way to go beyond the surface of someone and get to know them as a person. That sounds right up our alley. It at, does. Now part of Taluna because we have these empathy chats. We try to really make sure that we're, you know, seeing each other's point of view. So that sounds like a company meeting kind of a uh, icebreaker, don't you think? Yeah, a little more fun than the normal icebreaker. Oh, come on. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge of the icebreakers. Now, so um, no, that's, that's great. I think that was a, a great example. And then I really rabbit hold with the Dr. Wu brand himself and the brand. And I just think seeing opportunity in a niche category like tattoo skincare and how it kind of evolved and now Urban Outfitters is in, involved. It's just so cool. And so did you look into that brand too? I did. So I know Dr. Wu from Instagram. He's got a massive following and he's definitely, I would consider an influencer and he's pretty much worldwide famous for his tattoos. They're very uh, hyper-realistic, delicate, and uh, he's tattooed tons of celebrities and influencers. So just everyone. And then suddenly he's into fashion, he's featured in Vogue. And it's just interesting to watch in real time as someone kind of leverages their skills, their art into a worldwide brand. So it's really fun to just see that in unfolding in front of our eyes. Yeah. It's a great example of a culturally relevant brand and persona and how it can extend to so many different categories. So I thought that was very cool. So overall, I think Miguel is a very bold thinker. I think his background and how many brands that he's interacted with is so cool. And, you know, really some gutsiness that came through from that conversation. So I'm really pleased to add him to this community of, of leaders that we've been talking to. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Head over to the Gutsiest Brands playlist on Spotify to hear Miguel's song suggestion, as well as all of the other songs from our previous guests. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.